Welcome back to the show. Returning is my first guest, Linda Akutagawa of Huntington Beach, one of the 14 commissioners of the California Citizens Redistricting Commission to bring and update us all on where the California redistricting process drawing the boundaries of the Congressional, State, Senate and State Assembly and State Board of Equalization Districts are going down on the map. This is following the United States Census release of data on September 21st. Now they are all in full swing with their community outreach duties toward mapping all the above mentioned districts. Commissioner Akutagawa is from Huntington Beach. She is president and CEO of the Leadership Education of Asian Pacifics. She is the chair of the Alliance for Board Diversity and an appointed member of the California Department of Insurance Diversity Task Force. She's also a member of the Asian Asian American Institute Advisory Board at California State University of Los Angeles, as well as board member of the Asian Pacific Planning and Policy Council. She is registered as no party preference. She comes to us today from her home office in Huntington Beach. Welcome back to Ask a Leader Commissioner Linda Akutagawa. Thank you so much for having me on again, Claudia. This has always been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And I'm, uh, as you know, I'm always ready and willing to talk about redistricting. Absolutely. Well, today it is National Registration Day. What a day to cover this rollout of the U.S. Census data. But before we go into the nitty gritty of census data, this being your commission's Community of Interest Blitz Month, September, Commissioner Akutagawa, what observations do you have about the remaining public forums that you've just conducted around the state with a special emphasis, I always ask you, on Orange County, and we'll consider whether University Hills is in fact a classic example of a community of interest. Oh yeah, it, it most definitely is. And, you know, I will say that we've gotten quite a bit of community of interest testimony from the Irvine area. And as with any area within California, I will also say that we've gotten differences of opinions about what constitutes um, a community of interest, even within Irvine. So we have- For example? I'll give you an example. We have had some people who say that all of Irvine should be what is, is all one big community of interest, the entire city of Irvine. But we've also gotten input from others that have said, well, Irvine is actually is split in two. You have those that are north of the five freeway that are more the single family homes that callers have more in common with, you know, areas like Orange and Tustin and Anaheim Hills. And those same people also say that the area that is, um, I guess it would be like south and west of the 405 in particular, is a different kind of community of interest within Irvine because it, it tends to be much more mixed income. It has students, but it also has um, some of your affluent areas because of the uh, university professors. You have renters, you have homeowners in the area. So it has been really interesting in terms of, you know, community of interest specific to Irvine. But as you mentioned, you know, this is our community of interest blitz month. It is not too late for anybody to, you know, continue to call in and give us input about their community of interest. And we're going to continue to hear from, and we want to continue to hear from Californians because 
this is important for us to hear about the nuances. I, and I always say this, you know, the communities of interest testimony and inputs that we get helps to give the commission nuance in terms of the maps that we'll be drawing. So you as a resident of Huntington Beach, have you found that the themes, the community of interest inputs you're getting from your own town, are they checking with what you expected or did you have to sort of rethink it? No, I mean, I would say I would call it aligned with what I was thinking. And interestingly, for example, we've heard quite a bit from community members in Orange County, particularly who have been advocating for a coastal community of interest. So by coastal from Seal Beach all the way down to San Clemente, that the cities who, you know, that hug the California coast should be specific community of interest because there are specific issues that are related to being a coastal city. And so Huntington Beach is one of those. I could see some of the um, what is brought up in terms of the issues and being also then in a district that shares similar, similar issues and challenges. Um, and we're also hearing from others who feel like a place like uh, Huntington Beach makes sense to be with other cities that are more compact and in areas that share similar, perhaps, uh, demographics and also similar interests and other kinds of characteristics that make it similar. So that's what's making it interesting. It's not so much that is the group that speaks the loudest and speaks the most often the one that is going to prevail in how the, the line drawing is going to take place. I'll be honest. I mean, right now we're still considering everything right now. We just received, as you mentioned, we just received the census data where it's a lot of data. Oh my God. So uh, many yeah, cells in the spreadsheet and so little time commissioner. Yeah, Kutagawa. And also that means that, you know, we're hearing the communities of interest, but I just want to remind your listeners that from a redistricting point of view, there are six factors that we have to, you know, really keep in mind as we draw these new district lines. And this is mandated by the California Constitution. So, you know, first and foremost, we have to look at equal population. Each district has to be equal in population. So, you know, for everybody that said we should have a coastal district, we got to look at do the population numbers bear out that? Do we have to split it because, you know, going from Seal Beach down to San Clemente may be too much? Do we draw in others because maybe there's not enough population? I mean, there's a lot of different factors. Then there's also making sure that our Voting Rights Act districts, which means that making sure that different minority communities also have the opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice that's also a really high priority consideration as mandated to us from the California Constitution amongst the six things. But it's not like we check off each box and say, OK, equal population check, you know, VRA district check. It, we have to take into account all six of those things, both individually, but also as a whole as well, too. So as residents, and I say residents or constituents, I don't say citizens, I make a very clear distinction there intentionally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is for their self-description of their community interest features, are they equal parts income and culture? Or is there is there like a factor that seems so predominant in what you're hearing? I'm really curious. Yeah, you know, when it comes to their community of interest, it's not about income. It's not about demographics. 
it's really about shared interests. You know, what makes a community a community? Some of it may be centered around like a particular race, ethnicity, culture, you know, that is predominant in a certain area. Some of it may be it's around the kind of employment that people in that community may share. Um, Some of it may be because of maybe the challenges that a community shares. Um, You know, like we've heard a lot from Foothill and other rural communities who have all talked a lot about you know, wildfire and water issues, drought issues being one of the biggest concerns and that unites their communities. Some talk about like their community is centered around a transportation corridor. Maybe it's either public transportation or it's a highway. Some of it may just be just the fact of where they're located, for example, I, I use Huntington Beach and the coastal cities, which includes like Newport Beach and also down to like Laguna Beach and San Clemente. But in other places, it's you're in the high desert and in a certain valley area. That's also another big factor in the Central Valley a lot of we've heard quite a bit around, you know, being centered around agriculture is another issue as well, too. So it's subjective in the sense that, you know, it's what a person defines. This is what makes up our community. And so it's it's also open ended in that way, too. And so really? anybody can say this is my community and this is why it's a community. It's also interesting. The more we think about it. Well, my guest today is Linda Akutagawa of Huntington Beach, one of the 14 commissioners of the California Citizens Redistricting Commission. And we are talking about the rollout of this data from the U.S. Census. So is there a way you can give us a little crib sheet about how to deal with this immense (laughs) amount of data, though? Okay, this is what I'm going to say is probably going to be the easiest way for people to look at this data and to use it in terms of thinking about how does this impact my city, my district, what kind of district would I be in? We have our draw my ca community.org tool. And this is a really cool tool. One, it's something that wasn't available in 2010. It's something that was created by California statewide database. And what's cool about it to me is that it gives all of us Californians the opportunity to actually go in onto this website and draw our district lines and to at the same time, all of the data, the current census data that just came in it is loaded on to this tool, this drawmycacommunity.org tool. And the other thing that I also want to say is you could take a look at all the census data. And if you like these kinds of numbers, I mean, you could literally geek out. It's just going to take you a really long time because there's a lot. But in California, there's a couple of things that I want to also just note that I think is going to be important. So one, um, you know, maybe a lot of your listeners who follow what's been happening also know that the census released what they call the legacy data or the legacy version. So basically it's a little less refined. So your layperson, if you look at it, 
it needs some processing to be able to be translatable. It's in the form that, you know, people who work with this kind of data can work with. It's but, super raw. I'm staring at my one of my spreadsheets here. I can't, yeah. I, it's, it's way over my head. Yeah. So the statewide database, what they did is they took the data and then they refined it so that lay people like us can look at it and just still be able to make more sense. And even then it's still like, when you look at it, it's just like, wow, there's still a lot of data. So that was one. Secondly, in the state of California, one of the things that I think is really important to note is that for the redistricting commission, what we voted on to do is any individual that is incarcerated in a California state prison for the purposes of redistricting, they are not counted or assigned to the city or county that they are incarcerated in. Instead, each individual is then reassigned back to their last known home address. So the community that they came from, they are included as part of that community. There's a term that's called prison gerrymandering that um, advocates were saying that artificially inflates the size of a community because of the prisons. And so at the state level, we were given the data to reallocate each individual back to their home counties or home cities. What we weren't able to do, and we had a very lengthy and involved debate about this, is we wanted to do something similar with the federal prisons, but we were not able to receive the data in time. And there was a a very lengthy conversation about what do we do? Do we not include them? Do we just include them in the city that the prison is located in? Or do we just kind of evenly just distribute them throughout all of the California counties? And so ultimately, what we decided on the federal prisons is that we were just not going to count them because we got a anywhere. lot of tests. They yeah. don't show up anywhere in They California. won't show up anywhere because we did get a lot of testimony from advocates saying, while not ideal not to count them, it would be more harmful to count them as part of the county that the prison is housed in. And then again, artificially inflate their numbers. And so that was something that we did. So we had to, so when you think about that, then all of the numbers then have, because of the reallocation of the state incarcerated people, and the exclusion of the federal incarcerated people, the statewide database had to redo the data that we'll be working with. So what we have inputted into the Draw My CA community tool is all of the cleaned up data that is presented in a way that we, the redistricting commission is going to use so that any Californian, or actually for that matter, anybody who can access the internet wants to play with the data that we have, they too can create their own districts based on the data that we'll be working with. And, you know, we got a presentation on it yesterday and I'll, I'll, you know, Claudia, I'm going to say it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. You could see what if I want my district to look like this, then you could see, does it meet the numbers in terms of the populations at the very least? A simulation of sorts. Yeah. So you could do your own visualization. You could say, oh, I have too many people. So where am I going to cut? Where am I going to remove a portion of the district that I've created so that I could at least achieve at least minimally that number one criteria, which is equal number districts. So that at least then gets people thinking about, wow, you know, these are the hard decisions that we have to make because as much as we've heard from people, keep our city, keep our county whole, it's going to be kind of hard in some cases because the the population numbers 
it's either too small or too big and we have to cut somewhere. And so it's a chance for people to also then, it's not just a chance for people to play around with it, but they can create it and say, okay, I'm going to send this to the commission so that they could get my input on what I think my district should look like. So I want to ask a very sort of privileged question about the process that to the extent you're able to speak publicly about this is what was it like the deliberation of how to assign incarcerated people to districts or not to count them at all? What was happening between commissioners? I mean, to be honest, everybody, I mean, you know, we're, we're working in, in as transparent of a way as, as we can in terms of all of our meetings, all of our deliberations around it are, are public. So anybody who was interested in our deliberations around it, I think those took place between June and August. If, if anybody wanted to go on and, and look at but the actual videos, because that's the official transcript, you could actually tune in and fast forward to the area in which we're talking about it. And you could hear what we had in terms of our conversations around it. We also heard input from members, both via letter, as well as also people calling in. And I will say this, in terms of the decision to reallocate, that wasn't really that difficult. We had heard presentations from advocates who work with incarcerated people. And so when it came time to just voting to reallocate them, that was actually a pretty straightforward conversation. What did become a little bit more long drawn out is the federal incarcerated people. And really it was due to the fact that we could not get the data released to us. And then there was a response that we got from Senator Padilla's office saying that they would help, but it was a little unclear whether or not we would be able to get the data I mean, in fairness to them, I do also want to be clear. They didn't say they directly would do it, but they said, we got your letter. Facilitate it, the old. They would help. And they sent along our request to the Bureau of Prisons. And then so it just opened the door to like, okay, maybe we'll be able to get the data. Can we get the data in time? Can we push them to get us the data in time? And there was a lot of debate about that because it was literally on the eve. Yeah, it was on the eve of receiving the legacy data in August. Then it continued on shortly after, the week after we received it, and we knew that our timeline was really short. And so we realized that we just need to make a decision. And we heard from advocates, and we ultimately decided, absent a faster response, because there had been a week when we first began talking about it, and then we came back to actually then make the decision. It had been about a week and we hadn't gotten any response from the Bureau of Prisons. It was my recollection. I do want to say that this is, my recollection could be wrong. We just ultimately, as much as it, I will say it pained us because, you know, we don't like the idea of somebody not being counted. We felt that based on the inputs that we got and hearing from advocates early on that it would be better to exclude them completely versus just include them in an area that, because that's where they're housed, it would artificially increase their numbers. And we felt that that was not as fair. And so the other part of this process, the deadlines, it's does the Orange County Registrar of Voters and his counterparts in the rest of the state, do they get a jump on this information, on the maps? No, they won't. They, so they, they see it the same time. So that's... They, 
Yeah, okay. they see at the same time as everybody else. And I think, you know, that we just received, we had also a long conversation about when our final maps would be due, especially because of the delay in the census data. We had submitted a request to the California Supreme Court to be able to extend our deadline to January 14th so that then, you know, people can have a nice holiday. They wouldn't have to work over the holidays. However, we just heard a couple days ago from the Supreme Court, they made a ruling and they said that the final maps are now due on December 27th. And the rationale was they want to just keep moving the process along mainly? I think they felt that using the same rationale in the original Supreme Court ruling that extended the deadline, because when it was seen that due to COVID, that there was no way that the census was going to be completed on time and that it was very highly unlikely that we were going to receive the census numbers by the, you know, the normal date. They anticipated that and said, okay, as long as you received census data by July, July 31st, this is going to be the new deadline. Um, It was originally December 15th, but because the census data came to us almost two and a half weeks later, there became some questions about, did the legacy data date, did that start the clock? There was also the release of the PL94 data that was released just actually, I think it was earlier this week by the Census Bureau. Was that considered the start of our time clock in terms of the release of data. Those are kind of those squishy areas. Um, But because we received the legacy data in August, we figured that was going to be when the time clock started. And we knew that we just needed to work using that as our assumption, not the September release by the census of the PL94 data. And um, Public law 94, that's what that means? Yes, yes. Okay, Yes. And as you know, the Supreme Court came back and said, our deadline is the 27th. They felt that it was using the amount of the number of delay dates that the 27th was a reasonable time frame. So we talked about the Blitz month. So what we'll be getting notifications from your website and from lots of other public announcements this next round then for people to react to this public participation stage here. Yeah, so we are now going to start the line drawing. And in fact, um, we've started some visualizations. This was before we had the actual data, but now in earnest, we will begin the line drawing. And this is the part where it's going to be an opportunity for people to see what we're going to be doing. It'll be important for people to comment. It'll be important actually for both comments around what we're looking at in terms of the districts, but also this is also still yet another opportunity for people to keep providing us with their communities of interest testimony as well, too. One of the other things that I also want to just mention, too, is that we are going to, in late October, we are going to have a time frame in which individuals and organizations can present their district maps to us. So they can say, for example, if somebody says, I created a district map for Orange County, specific to the Irvine area. And it could be just using the drawmyca.community.org tool. They could say, I would like to present my district map and explain what I did, what my rationale is, and I'd like to present that to the commission. Organizations can also do the same. They can present a single district map if, let's say, for example, they're a local organization Regional and statewide organizations can also submit regional, like if they say, okay, 
a Southern California-based organization say, I'm going to present Southern California maps, or a statewide organization could say, I am going to present a set of district maps for the entire state. They can do that. There wow. is going to be actually, this is actually really good timing right now. We are going to by appointment allow people to sign up to make an appointment to make those presentations to us. It is going to open up on September 27th. And I'm mentioning this now because it is just right around the corner. We would encourage people, anybody who wants to, including organizations, to, if you want to present your district map, this is your opportunity to do so. I will also say that the time frame for people to make those appointments to present to us is not going to be very long. It's roughly about maybe the appointments, um, I guess, website or however you sign up for the appointments is only going to be open for about maybe a week and a half, two weeks. So if that's something that you think you want to do, sign up for the appointment. And then afterwards, you know, you create your map right now, roughly, I think we're planning on having them be due by October 11th. So you know, these things are happening fast. Our timeline is happening fast. But if people, you know, anybody wants to present their maps, this is an opportunity for them to do so, too. So, Commissioner, we're recording it on the 24th. So at the broadcast, that process of making an appointment to present your Envision maps is already underway. And you said a week to week and a half. So somewhere like by October 6th, you're pretty yes. much closing it all up. That's it. Yeah. And October yeah. 11th is the date then we start to see some, some real maps. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for those who have been following, they could be working on this, but if you're just hearing this now for the first time, jump. get on, yeah, jump, jump on it, make your appointment and then start working on your, on your district map that you'd like to present to us. But, you know, not everybody has to do that. I mean, you know, to get their input in, you could still, Again, give us your communities of interest input based on, you know, what you may be hearing and seeing. And we welcome and encourage that. And we want to, in fact, continue to hear from Californians about it. This is the engagement that we want. Exactly. Can, is it kind of obvious when a candidate's submitting maps? You know, no. Well, I, okay. When you sign up for the appointment, you do have to give your name versus when we were soliciting communities of interest input, you were allowed to be anonymous. But now there could be potential for knowing agendas with those maps. So that's that's, that's the transparency. Yeah, yeah, that's the okay. transparency. So that's so I just want to just go back about 70, 80,000 feet high here and that you're always talking about California. All bets are off. We leave this boundary and other states don't have all of these kinds of features, these rules in place, and they're going to have an entirely different process. It wouldn't be recognizable elsewhere. So just wanting Californians to understand the beneficence of the redistricting commission here that's serving all of us. So, so, so people, we have to match, we have to serve them and give them all the data that we have. So all the book groups and the uh, the soccer parents on the side, everybody sort of keep your uh, clipboard out and keep working on it and send it back to the yeah. And, and if I can just, if I can maybe make a couple comments around Please what you do. just said, I think a couple important points. So one, um, I want to go back to the six criteria that we have to follow and political identity or political affiliation is not one of the six criteria. So I just want to make that clear. So 
what we're doing is, is really looking at what is best for the people of California, not what is best for a political party. I, That's I, you, but I'm thinking of the, the people that bring you the maps, they're, they're working on their criteria. So that, I know. mean, and, and I understand that, but, but uh, I mean, I think that we, as a commission, I think that's what we're really guided by. And I, I really do feel good that the body that we are, the 14 that we are, I think we all share a similar goal. We want to draw what we believe are going to be the best maps that really do the best, that really create fair representation for the people of California. So I, I do want to just say that is an important part. There's a couple of the things I want to mention, because I think sometimes I'm realizing there may be some misunderstanding. So one, as an independent commission, we are nonpartisan. So um, I've heard us refer to as a bipartisan commission. We are independent because we are Republicans, we are Democrats, and we are no party preference or independence on the commission. Secondly, I think there may be some misunderstanding that once we as a commission submit our final maps, the state legislature, which is predominantly Democrats, but it's all a bipartisan body, they do not have the ability to say yay or nay to our maps like in other states. We submit our maps directly to the Secretary of State and Secretary of State Shirley Weber, and she is the one that will be certifying our maps. She accepts and certifies the maps that we come up with. There you have it. I'll just mention, and it's not a question I just wanted to put out there in the interest of time. There is an inquiry lesson that was launched on Constitution Day. So teachers of the 11th and 12th grades can bring their students in on this whole redistricting participation. That's really cool. So the last question we have time for is how Commissioner Akutagao has any of this process so far reshaped how you consider democracy participatory democracy and representation issues? That's a great question. I will say that I, I, I am so much more conscious of how important citizen participation is and that any democracy, but particularly here in the US, but um, in California too, there is a place and a space and a need for all of us to be engaged and to be participatory. It's a way in which we can ensure our perspectives are heard and that we advocate for representation. And, you know, the more we speak up, even though let's say, I know in certain areas of the state, I we've heard feedback from people who feel like their views, their issues, their concerns are not represented, nor are they heard by their elected officials because maybe they feel like they don't share a similar perspective. But I think it's important that as people of California, we continue to stay engaged and that we hold our elected officials accountable regardless of party affiliation to the needs of our communities. And if anything, this redistricting process has really, really highlighted that importance for me. Thank you for that. I. Thank you for your service and for taking the time for another round of mapping process with our listeners, Commissioner Akutagawa. Always happy to do so. And anytime, we still got a few more months and a lot more work to do. Maybe one more interview before the winter holidays, perhaps. So my guest was Commissioner Linda Akutagawa of Huntington Beach, one of the 14 commissioners serving on the California Citizens Redistricting Commission. 
One, I just want to remind everybody, if please go to the Redistricting Commission website at wedrawthelinesca.org. If anybody is curious as to what kind of input we're getting, like what did we hear? What are we reading? Again, for those who really like looking through the data, we finally just got our database of all of the inputs that we've been receiving up onto our website. And so when you go to wedrawthelinesca.org, there is a tab at the top that says data. And when you click on that, you could see all of the data that we've received. Right now, it's through the end of August, but you could see all the communities. And so if you're interested in Orange County, you could filter by Orange County. If you're curious about other places, you could filter and just see what people are saying about their communities and other places too. It is kind of interesting to see, there's quite an array of feedback in terms of what people say about their communities, what makes up their communities. Some of it is long, some of it is short, some of it is just really detailed. Some of it is just really um, cool in terms of, please keep my community together. So the statewide database, they opened up these, what's called redistricting access centers. So for anybody who isn't quite sure what to do, they can go to one of these redistricting access centers. And what's even better is that there is one in Long Beach. So if you're in Irvine, it is not that bad of a drive up the 405 to Long Beach because it's right by the Long Beach airport. And they're open Monday through Friday and on Saturdays. And there's somebody there that they can ask questions of, you know, like, really? Okay. Yeah. If somebody wants to draw their own district map, they can ask how to do it. And there's somebody there to help them out. And I've been hearing from other commissioners who have gone to, there's six sites around the state and other commissioners that have gone to the redistricting access centers have all really talked about how wonderful it's been, how helpful the people have been and how actually it's kind of fun. I mean, one of the commissioners actually mentioned that she submitted her COI, her communities of interest input when she was at the redistricting access center with the help of the person that was there because they were doing some practice things. And she just said, I'm just going to submit my COI right now. So yeah, you got to make an appointment and to do so you have to go to the statewide database website, which is statewidedatabase.org. We'll be right back with my next guest, UCI Director Jane Page, Stage Manager John Pinero, and actor Chris Hathaway about the new play coming out, Human Error. <laughs> 